When Nicole was 13, she went swimming at her local pool. And she wrote about it in her diary. March 15th, 1998. Today, Emily and me went swimming at Northcliffe. It was so funny. This guy had a huge boner for almost an hour. It was so funny. (laughs) That's Nicole reading from the diary she kept as a teenager. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This right now is grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. How are you doing? It is very, very nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at the Florence Simmons Performance Hall in Charlottetown, we have long-distance love letters, the perils of pornography, the true definition of tacky art, and much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and like an hour-long erection at a public pool, it can be a little embarrassing. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. Our next reader, Allie, shared a number of diary entries she wrote when she was 14 and 15. And before the show, I asked Allie if her diary entries had anything in common, if there was a narrative thread running through the selections she chose. And she said, yes, sorry, mom. It's about her sexual awakening. Please welcome Allie to our stage. A quick heads up, Allie uses a cuss word in her diary, which we do not believe. July 31st, 2003, age 14. I'm not having an overly good tonight. I'm sick of being single, poor, and ugly. I got my hair cut. I haven't told you this. Boy short. Lesbian short. Oh, yes, I'm having sexuality issues. I'm sure I'm straight. I don't know. I'm likely bi. 60-40. And then it says, I want a boyfriend. (laughs) September 22nd, 2003. Dearest journal, will you date me? (laughs) You seem understanding and whatnot. Also, you don't want to do stuff, and that seems like all guys are out for nowadays. (laughs) I don't know how easy it is to find a guy that's just plain old-fashioned. And then I get a little weird. November 2nd, 2003, age 14. Hmm, a new journal, eh? Let's see how this works out. So far, it's pretty rad. Looks wise. (laughs) I'm not liking the hardcover mainly because I can't fold the pages. Oh, well, I must say it's perfect otherwise. Sexy like me. (laughs) January 12th of 2004. God, I can't stop thinking about doi. This was my crush's nickname. It's scaring me because I'm going to be so disappointed when nothing happens or works out. I was going to tell him tonight, though he most likely knows, but mom's an asshole. (laughs) So I didn't get to talk to him, and now I can't even sleep. January 22nd, 2004. Things seem to be progressing with Doi, at least hopefully. I always find myself thinking of possible circumstances and get good feelings, but they're only daydreams. Which sucks. I really do like him, though. It might be sexual feelings only. (laughs) January 31st, 2004, 12.49 a.m. So, hmm, I have a boyfriend. Yes, indeedy. (laughs) 
March 21st, 2004. I just got home from Derek's. That's 8.30 to 12.30, not bad. <laughs> he was really sick. God knows I'll be sick tomorrow, but it was so worth it. <laughs> he looked so good tonight. I'm glad kissing still does it for me. I don't know, though. I wish we could take it a step further. One week later. Age 15. I'm definitely sexually curious. It kills me. Tonight I actually, oh God, I sound so bad. I moved his hand there. I was just so bored. Thank you. Lots of teenagers have part-time jobs, and of course, a job can certainly be a source of income, but it can also be an important way to learn life lessons. When Monica was 15, she was really anxious to get a job. But as she wrote in her journal, there were a few obstacles in her way. Now, a quick heads up, Monica uses some cuss words in her journal, which we do not bleep. There is your heads up. Live on stage in Charlottetown, here's Monica. Uh, in advance of my reading, I just want to acknowledge my beautiful mother and Grammy Velma in the audience and say, I'm sorry, and I'm a better person now. <laughs> November 8, 2000. Dear Journal, Mom and Dad are fucking pathetic, stupid idiots. They won't let me get a job at Tim Hortons. I mean, they are the ones complaining that they aren't money trees. Well, if they let me get a job, then I wouldn't have to ask them for money anymore. I hate them sometimes. I had enough of this shit. Tomorrow night, if they don't let me go, I'm just gonna leave. They can't fucking stop me. The only thing I'm allowed to do is go to fucking hockey games and the movies. Oh, what a life. November 18th, 2000. Dear Journal, Mom and Dad let me take the job. I was ecstatic. I'm not sure when I start, but hopefully soon. I mean, he said I was hired on Friday, and he would call in a couple of days. It's been a few days. November 14th, 2000. Dear Journal, Tomorrow's my first day on the job. I'm going to be rich. In brackets, <laughs> November 14th, 2000, at 10.45 p.m. Dear Journal, today was my first official day of work. Man, this is going to be such a shitty job. <laughs> Thank you. When Peggy was in grade 11, her English teacher gave the class an assignment. Everybody had to write a short essay answering this question. Is there such a thing as tacky art? We're going to hear Peggy's response right now. Please welcome her to our stage. (laughs) 
Webster's Dictionary describes art as a skill in performance acquired by experience, study, or observation. And tacky is described as dowdy in appearance. We put these two definitions together, and we are now describing objects from deer heads to obscene calendars to cheap craftware, all of which will be described in this tacky essay. These crafts are found anywhere from carnivals to flea markets and everywhere in between. But I think the number one place for tacky art is right here on Prince Edward Island. <laughs> when tourists come here, they must think we're all we're about are purple lobster candles and paperweights that snow on Anne of Green Gables' house. Or worse yet, those t-shirts that say, my grandma went to PEI and all I got was this stinking t-shirt. While we're on the subject of clothing, what's with this cowboy boot thing? We're suburban preppies, not Garth Brooks. Don't people know how silly Edwin French baggies and a blouse from Northern Reflections looks with cowboy boots? Although, if these people are that tacky, they're probably wearing a t-shirt that says, my grandma went to Florida, and all I got was this stinking t-shirt. Another form of tacky art is calendars with half-naked women on them. You'll find these calendars hanging at gas stations or any other business that has to do with construction. <laughs> Don't these men have anything better to do than to stare at naked women all day? Don't the naked women have anything better to do than pose for pictures so men can stare at them? Perhaps if these men spent half as much time working as they do looking at the naked women, the Route 2 highway between Summerside and Charlottetown would be completed by now. Another form of tacky art for men are animal trophy heads. Taxidermists must make thousands of dollars a year stuffing dead animals for the walls of men who have never been hunting before in their lives. For them, a dead moose on their wall is a symbol of masculinity. I know this because my father is one of those men. A deer with glass eyes and dusty antlers hangs on the wall of his den. Sometimes to annoy my father, we put a cigarette in the deer's mouth and a ball cap on its antlers. Now let's talk about the feminine side of tacky art. I once read in a magazine article where one of the magazine staff writers went to an art exhibition where the artist saved her used tampons in plastic bags each month and displayed them in a large filing cabinet. <laughs> That is not only tacky, but very, very disgusting. <laughs> when people look at art, they should be able to see a symbol with a message. What message does used tampons in a filing cabinet present? As I've stated in my opening paragraph, art is a skill. The objects I've mentioned in my essay are not art, but merely an expression that one person didn't put enough skill or thought into. <laughs> Therefore, there is no such thing as tacky art, only indolent people with tacky ideas. I got 9.5 out of 10. Thank you.
Long-distance relationships can be difficult, but one way to manage the distance is through writing. When Wendy was in grade 12, she lived in Kamloops, and her boyfriend George lived in Vancouver, about four hours away. So, to stay in touch, Wendy wrote letters, and at our Charlottetown show, she shared a few of them. January 9th, 1970. Dearest George, I love you. This week's letters are going to be long, so I can make up for not writing enough last week. But I knew I'd see you Thursday. Did you see the Miss Canada pageant? I guess you liked that. They were pretty. But the clothes that they wore at the beginning were ugly. All those middies. I now have a favorite commercial. A woman is cooking, and then she changes and fixes her hair and uses Florient or something. Then her husband comes home, and that's the most beautiful part. As soon as he comes in the door, I think of how it will be for us and how I'll always try to look good for you and have dinner ready when you come home from work. I'd have a drink ready if I thought you'd like one before dinner. And of course, one of your records will be playing. I love you. Good night, my love. When I see you again, your beard ought to look a lot better. (laughs) I might also have my period. (laughs) But maybe not, actually. I've got about five more pills to take, so maybe not. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) I've got your picture right in front of me on my binder. I can see your dimple. I love your dimple. Dad was very angry when he found out about my phone bill. I'm afraid I won't be able to phone again. (laughs) Or I'll get killed. I guess I should do my lit work. I'll write more later. I love you. I think my family is a classic example of dumbness. They don't even understand that I phone you or write you and kiss you because I love you. I wish people could understand love and or remember it at least. I love you and I hope I never forget how I feel now, even if our love, as it probably will, mellows and becomes stronger and more sure. I'll love you forever. I love you. I wish you were here. I love you. I'll write more tomorrow. I love you. I love you. I love you. Hi again. I just watched Here Come the Brides, and I got to thinking about us getting married, and you know something? I think I won't be able to stand there and not cry with happiness. Just thinking about it made me cry a little. Too much. Well, I mean, all that happiness is just so much I have to do something. And since you aren't here, I can't kiss you, so I have to cry a little. (laughs) I can't wait. I will love you and be yours forever. You were right when you said in that letter that the ceremony will mean we won't ever have to leave each other again. It means togetherness. Total mental, emotional, and physical togetherness. Eating, loving, sleeping and giving, growing, going out, and sharing together. It's love. I want to give you anything you want of me and take what I want of you. 
Marriage is love. It's not a legal right to have children and have sex, as most people think. (laughs) To me, a marriage ceremony means a spiritual as well as a legal joining. It sort of makes love even more holy. I'm not saying it isn't holy now, though. I love you. I love you. I really think those words deserve to be isolated. They're the most important words in the world and in my letter and in my life. I love you. I will love you always and forever. I, Wendy Jones, take thee, George. I love you, George. You are my life. I will see you soon and in my dreams till then. I love you more than you will ever know. Thank you. I have a whole shoebox bulging with a school year's worth of love letters. And I chose this one because it speaks not just of love, but encompasses a wide gamut of events. And um, it voices my opinions of the time. Um, It best highlights what life was like for a teenager in the early 1970s. And I thought that might be fun for people to hear about. Now, Wendy wrote those letters to George when she was a teenager and he was her boyfriend. But George went on to be her husband of 25 years. So far tonight, we have not heard an awful lot of fiction. That's about to change. Chet is going to share a short story he wrote when he was about eight years old. He described this to me as a story of two villainous owls entitled (laughs) Mrs. Owl's Trick. Please welcome Chet to our stage. One day in Mousetown, the third house on the street was having a party. They were doing this because the owls couldn't get them. You could hear them sing and dance. But one day, Mr. Owl told his wife, Mrs. Owl, that the mice were no longer safe. Good, said Mrs. Owl. (laughs) Uh, Tomorrow, we will eat them. (laughs) Okay, said Mr. Owl. Then the day came. The two owls went down from their treehouse, and Mrs. Owl said to her husband, Here, put this costume on, and we will trick the mice. (laughs) So Mr. Owl put the costume on. Uh, He then went and knocked on their door. The king mouse opened the door, and when he saw Mr. Owl dressed as the pizza guy, he slammed the door on Mr. Owl's beak, which got stuck in the door. Mr. Owl then went back to his treehouse, but when he got there, a boy shot both him and his wife in the face, (laughs) and the mice were happy once again. The end. Thank you. Chet promised a short story about two villainous owls and delivered a short story about two villainous owls. Nicely done.
When Corinne was 11, she wrote a school assignment all about herself, including a description of who she was, some things she wanted to change about the world, and a few of her future plans. My name is Corinne. I'm 11 years old, and my birth date is April 20th, 1980. I'm short, but I have been growing in the last month. (laughs) I have hazel, green-brown eyes and medium-brown hair. My complexion is golden brown, and I never get burned. (laughs) I have freckles here and there. If I could, this is what I would improve about today's world. I would like it if there was no violence in this world, and no pollution would be great. (laughs) I wish people would think before they do something like try drugs or something else illegal. (laughs) I wish nobody would be prejudiced. It's the inner qualities that count. I always look forward to sleep, because every dawn is a new beginning. (laughs) I feel proud when I heard Israel and some other place signed a contract for peace. (laughs) I'm really in favor of peace. Because then there would be more on the news than crime reports. The hardest problem I ever faced was um, when, whenever I thought my dad quit smoking. This was going on for six months. I was really proud, and I told him, too. Then one day, I was walking outside, and I saw him with a cigarette stuck in his mouth. I was so surprised. I just ran. I ran and ran. When I couldn't run anymore, I stopped. And cried and cried. Now Dad smokes in the house. (laughs) Things that make me happy. Make a list. My friends, jokes, reading, singing, peace, drawing, baking, good work, and exercise. The scaredest time of all was in the summer. I was eating my supper alone in the living room. I was thinking about unsolved mysteries. Then I thought how weird it would be if we were on Unsolved Mysteries for a ghost living at our house. Just then, the TV turned off. I thought the power was out, but the kitchen light was on. I got up and went to the TV and turned it back on. I went to sit down, but as soon as I got seated, the TV turned up so loud I had to plug my ears to stand it. I turned it down again. This kept going on, and I got so scared I was going to eat outside. As soon as I got to the kitchen, Dad jumped out from the corner and went, Ah! At the top of his lungs. He had the remote in his hands. I know how it feels to be sad. One day when I was six, my mom told me my grandfather was going to die. I had been in the ho- he had been in the hospital for cancer. My brother Josh began to cry. I didn't cry. He wasn't going to die. I only believed it when I went to the wake. I bawled my eyes out. Every bit of hope I had was gone. I miss him to this day. Make a list of your favorite tastes and smells. <laughs> tastes. Golden French fries. Blueberry buckle. Score bars. Canadian mint ice cream bars. Scallops and tacos. <laughs> smells. Fresh bread rolls, etc. Hay. Pizza. Popcorn. Cinnamon. Potpourri. Perfume. New clothes, spring, air. In the future, I plan to live in British Columbia because that is the most beautiful place in the world. 
I wouldn't mind living in Vancouver and being an interior decorator. <laughs> if I don't live in Vancouver, I'll live in Clearbrook by my uncle. I don't even know where that is now. <laughs> I think that'd be kind of neat. Thank you. <laughs> Our next reader, M, shared an essay she wrote in her final year of high school. And the topic of the essay was The Perils of Pornographic Magazines. Please welcome M to the Grown Up Street Things They've Heard as Kids stage. It's called The Hustlers. kind of satisfaction or enjoyment can men get out of reading, maybe not even reading, magazines like Playboy and Hustler? How is it that we can live in a society that allows these magazines to even be published? What people maybe don't realize is that Hustler magazine was originally started to advertise strip joints. Larry Flint, owner of Hustler strip bars, decided that he wasn't getting enough business. And so he tried to advertise his crop of dancers. <laughs> by publishing a magazine plastered with their photos. However distasteful this was, men wanted to order subscriptions to Hustler, and it became a monthly publication. Just some backstory on Hustler. (laughs) The magazine does feature articles, but how many men will read an article on how to mix a perfect martini when there is a picture of a practically nude girl with her legs spread open on the facing page? Maybe this is an accurate portrayal of what men really think of women and a very poor depiction of our society if men really do. These women in the magazines give men a perfect opportunity to put down their partners. Why can't you look like Miss September, honey? (laughs) What the men don't realize is that these women in the magazines aren't average women. Why is it that people in society don't realize that every person is not the same shape? If the women in the men's magazines, or women's magazines for that matter, were average, what would be the point in men reading them when they have one of, when they have one in their kitchen at home? having these types of women must be for men to get an escape from their plain little wives. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And what does this do to their partners? If a woman realizes that all a man wants is the perfection in the magazines, of course she'll want to look like that. This is where eating disorders, plastic surgery, and compulsive exercising come in. A woman who is 5'5 with a medium body frame should know that she can never be 5'9 with a 26-inch waist. Men and women need to take a reality check. Sure, there are women in the world with perfect bodies. Every woman. The ones depicted in magazines like Playboy, Hustler, and Penthouse are a select few and should not be made out to be any better than the other woman. For the men who read these magazines, they should remember that any woman is capable of loving and caring for them. (laughs) And that a A picture in a magazine is nothing compared to the love of someone who cares about you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 
Um, ladies and gentlemen, it's amazing to me how a single piece of writing can be so progressive yet so retrograde at exactly the same time. Grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. Our show was recorded live at the Florence Simmons Performance Hall in Charlottetown in partnership with the PEI Literacy Alliance, and it was produced by Jenna Meisner. Olivia Nashmi is our associate producer. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone, and our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. If all of this sounds like fun, why not be part of a live Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids event? We have a bunch of upcoming shows planned, and we may be headed to your neck of the woods. For all of the details, check out our website, grownups.fm. That's grownups.fm, or use the link in the episode notes on your device right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. Every dawn is a new beginning.